Good evening, good evening. Glad to see each one of you here. Thanks for joining us in our midweek. All of you that are online, welcome. We're glad that you are with us as well. Well, this evening we're going to worship God, so I invite you to stand. And let's begin by thanking God for all the great things that he does for us.
thank you that you are the king of glory you are on your throne and that we don't have to be afraid we don't have to worry but we can run into your presence and know that you are for us and with us because of all that you do for us we stand in your presence this evening overwhelmed i see the work of your hands galaxies spin in our heavenly God, all that you are is so overwhelming. And I hear the sound of your voice. All at once, it's a gentle and thundering noise. Oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. 
captivated by your beauty. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by you. And God, I run into your arms. On a shake because of mercy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by I know the power of your cross Forgiven and free Forever you'll be my God All that you've done Is so overwhelming I delight myself in you In the glory of your presence I'm overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed by I run into your arms Unashamed because of mercy I'm overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed by you You are beautiful You are beautiful Oh God there is no one more beautiful. You are beautiful. God, you are the most beautiful. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. Oh, God, there is no one more wonderful. You are wonderful. God, you are the most wonderful. You are glorious, you are glorious, oh God, there is no one more glorious, you are glorious, God, you are the most glorious. I delight myself in you, in the glory of your presence, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by Unashamed because of mercy, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by you. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by you. about our fairest Lord Jesus. If you want to continue standing or you want to sit, whatever posture you want to take, 
I invite you to draw close to the throne of God this evening. This is time where this is between you and God, worshiping Him for who He is, declaring your faith and your trust and your commitment to Him.
one who's first and last wiped away my past perfect royalty made his home in me to the one who holds the stars we lift you higher we lift you higher to the one who there is no other, there is no other like you. King of endless life, yet you chose to die on a sinner's tree, exposed for me with one fire. Storm the gates of hell, ripping through the veil. To the one who overcame, we lift you higher, we lift you higher. To the name above all names, there is no other, there is no other.
see your face and we see your character and who you are as these songs have described you. changes our perspective reminds us who we belong to and that you care deeply for us we love you this evening we thank you that as you hold the stars you hold each one of our hearts you have us on your mind at all times We worship you, our perfect sacrifice. Let's sing that again. Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. You are beautiful, our As you find your seat, if you would, open up your Bibles to John, chapter 12, verse 27, as we continue our journey through the Bible. A couple of save the dates. I know Tom did some announcements, but uh, if you have your calendars, you want to save the dates for a couple of things that have come up this week, and we'll get the the information out to you soon. Um, On February 4th, we're going to have a special marriage date night here. So all you guys, you're on the hook now. Because we announced it. And what it is, it's marriage date night. It's going to be uh, uh, marriage night, date night with special speakers. And what we have coming are uh, two Christian comedians and then also a Christian artist that's going to be doing music. We're partnering with, um, and it's really, they're, they're professional artists that are actually coming from Arizona. And they're going to be in Salem um, on the 3rd and then we're going to be able to have them here on the 4th. So we'll have a lot more information. I previewed the comedians. They're funny, especially if you're a parent of a middle schooler. They will make you laugh. It's hilarious. Rachel and I were laughing this week as we were watching some of them. And the Christian artist is um, is, is really top drawer. So we want to be able to encourage you for that. Also, guys, uh, save the dates for the men's retreat. It's, some have asked about it. It is February 24th. And we'll have that information that's coming out. And then lastly, you want to save the date for March 4th. 2024, because we are going to be going back to Israel and doing a Best of Jordan, Best of Israel tour, biblical tour. It's 13 days. We'll have all the information for you. We're going to be uh, three days in Jordan and then 10 days in Israel touring the whole area and doing the, the best of it. And we get to do one of the days we'll spend all day in Petra, which will be really amazing. We're going to Bethlehem, which we haven't been yet. And we'll be seeing some different things. So, um, And we'll be doing the whole coast. We'll go to Nazareth. Is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? The answer is yes. Jesus. Super excited. So, we're, so we got that coming up. But tonight we're going to be taking a look at uh, John's continued account of Jesus, the Son of God, and dealing with his suffering. Suffering can be something that we will avoid every opportunity that we can 
and sometimes we struggle because we ask the question, is there a purpose in our suffering? Is there a reason? Because if there was a reason, then maybe I could endure it. Maybe I could understand it. Oftentimes we don't understand the reason for suffering. We know that suffering is the end result of sin and the flesh that's in, that happens to us. Tonight we're going to take a look at Jesus' suffering. Well, He is a man that knew no sin, yet He suffers. And in this, we get to see His humanity and His divinity all come together within this. And really, to be able to take a look at Jesus looking forward to the foreshadowing of His death. And as He wrestles with this suffering, He understands that through His suffering, He will bring glory to His Father. And He will glorify the Father through obedience in the suffering. If it was me, I would have taken the chicken exit. <clears throat> but it's a good thing that Jesus stuck it out because without Him we wouldn't be safe. And so He is facing, and you've got to think, well, what, is, what was He facing that was so bad? He's divine. He's God. He knew He would rise from the dead. But what was so heavy for Him on the cross? And the whole account. And, and why was it an issue? Because in his humanity, he will struggle with this. And we're going to be given a little bit of insight to, to prayer and affirmation when we confess. And how should we confess to God when we suffer and work through this? So we'll dive right in. In chapter 12, verse 27, it says, as Jesus in this continuing conversation, John picks up, he says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And so the crowd of people who stood by heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world, now that the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, or and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he would was to die. So as we take a look at this, we, we are given into this, insight into this prayer. Now we know that John doesn't account for the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he does give us insight here within this. And one of the things that that we can draw from this is Jesus's honesty. The question, is it okay to be honest with God? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is one of the first things that we got to understand when we are in a condition of suffering, sorrow, sadness, be transparent with God. He already knows. Now, Jesus is having this conversation with his father, and he needs to be transparent. Notice the text says, now is the hour. Now is the time. As we've been studying on Sundays, in the fullness of time. God's divine timetable is happening according to God's will. And now it is the time. Jesus has gone through Palm Sunday, as we studied last week. And now he's looking at, just in a few days, going to the cross within this. It's the hour that Jesus 
was troubled with because in his humanity, he was going to enter into a time when in his self, he would receive the full wrath of the Father upon every sin that has ever been committed or will be committed by every sinner all at one time. Yet, in his humanity, he will endure that. He will encounter that. From the one whom he loves will break him. That's what he struggled with. It was a great time of emotional distress. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, And in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears, note, to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Jesus was crying out with loud tears and lament, to the one who was able to save him, and this is a different account than in the garden. People were hearing this, but he's crying out with lament. Note in Hebrews' account it says, to the one able to save him, but God doesn't save him. He doesn't take him out and away from the cross. He has to go through the cross. Because it was according to God's will in order to save us within this. And so within this, we see this glimpse of this, this prayer as he's, as he's facing this time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Mark fourteen thirty six, he says, And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Note, yet not what I will, but what you will. Have you ever had a time when you were in such a state of despair, distress, or sorrow, and you're praying for God to deliver you from it, and it's God's determination that He would deliver you through it. And that is the majority of the time, where God will deliver you through it and not from it. But note the submission that Jesus gives. Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. Is it okay to go to God with your will? Yes. Is it okay to go to God and say, God, I really don't want this? Yes. But the way to handle that is not to soak sour and sulk when God doesn't deliver you from it, but to trust in God to deliver you through it. To be in that place where you can say, "Okay, God, you're gonna, you're gonna, if you're not delivering me from it, you're gonna take me through it." And that is the trust in God. That's the faith that we can have in God to take me through it, to surrender your life. If at all things are possible, remove this from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is is not having these second thoughts. But there's a tension that happens in his humanity. It's not like, I don't want to go through it, but it's going to be so unpleasurable, I really am going to suffer. I would rather not have the suffering and the separation of that suffering. But one of the things that is revealed through the suffering of Jesus is the empathy of Jesus. 
Do you realize that everything that you and I will ever go through, Jesus has experienced at some level in his humanity and knows what you feel? In Hebrews chapter 4, 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our own weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Now, maybe not the specifics, but the general concepts. Pain. Isolation. Abandonment. All of these emotions that we might go through being rejected by people, family and friends, all of these things. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And in His humanity, He's gone through everything and He can empathize. You know, I was talking with somebody, and I, as I often do in counseling, and they'll tell me something about that's going on in their life. And I say, you know, I really don't know what you're going through because I'm not you. Have you ever talked with somebody and say, I know what you're going through? And the reality is, no, you don't. Why? Because you're not them. You may go through something like that with them, but you are not them. For example, talking with, you may have lost a child. And you're talking with someone who has also lost a child. And you try to be empathetic and you say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I know what you're going through in losing a child. No, you're not. You, you lost a child in the context of your own life, but you, but you don't know the context of their life. You may say something like, I feel similar, but no. But Jesus, on the other hand, does know. Why? Because he's got the humanity of the empathy and he's got the divinity of the knowledge that are all tied together. And he knows at the same time. They're all interwoven. So in his divinity, he knows because he knows you and your innermost being and your thoughts. And in his humanity, he feels as you feel. And he can empathize. And within this, Jesus experienced all the emotional, physical, and suffering just like us. Which makes him a perfect advocate between us and his Father. We have someone that can plead our case. Why? Because he's, he's walked in our steps within this. And so in his prayer statement, he, he understands and he says, basically, Father, save me out of this hour, but for this purpose I came for this hour. Glorify your name. This is the reason why he came. Do you realize that as we come to Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus because he was born to die? He was born to die. That was his purpose was to come and to, to give his life as a sacrifice. And he, and he kind of self-debates in verse 27. Notice how he self-debates. Father, save me from this hour. Should I say that? Is that right? Because he's trying to wrestle in his head, this is why I came. Should I say, Father, save me from this? Well, no, it's kind of rhetorical. No, because it was the purpose. And the cross is the purpose, and the time was now. In the fullness of time, this was the specific time that he was to come. And to redeem mankind. Could you imagine where you would be if Jesus didn't 
die on the cross. What would it be like if that day in Jerusalem, after Palm Sunday and all of these things, and he's really contemplating all of this, and he goes, eh, no, I don't think so. Where would you and I be? We would be in a horrible place. We would be without hope and without salvation. Where would we be? Whereas a Christ follower who is now a child of God, you would remain in the condition of not being a child of God and condemned to hell for all of your life. Without hope. But there is a hope. Because Jesus followed through. And so in this, he asked the Father to carry him through the hardship. Glorify your name through this hardship. So, you have cancer, and you have to go to chemo. You have to go to get an infusion. You have to go to the doctor time and time again. Glorify your name through this suffering. How does God do that? Because in those times of suffering, He gives you divine appointments and opportunities to be able to share. To be in that place. Through the suffering. As I wrote to somebody this week, that you may comfort those with the same comfort by which you have been comforted. To be in that place. You say, well, God, I don't want to be able to comfort people that way. But glorify your name through this, within this. What is the name of God? The name of God is holy. Holy be your name as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. God's name is holy, it's just, it's right. And how you encounter difficulties as a child of God really reflects on your Father, by whom you name the name. Glorify your name. I love what God does in 28 as He answers him. He says, and then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He affirmed and gave courage. Glorify your name? Yep, I'm doing it. Now this is one of three times recorded that God speaks to the, in such a way that people can hear Him. At the baptism in Mark chapter 6-9, at the transfiguration Mark 17-5 and here. But the people heard it and they said, it's thundering. It's thundering. Why? Because they don't understand the voice of God, but they hear that. It's the same thunders and lightnings or thundering sound that you would have heard on Mount Sinai when God was speaking with Moses. This noise that was going on that would be a terrifying sound. Others were saying, well, it's angels. But then the question is, how is God's name glorified? I have glorified it and I will glorify it. Did the name of God stop being glorified at the cross? Did it stop being glorified at the resurrection? Did the name of God stop being glorified at the martyrs of the first church? How is the name of God glorified? I will glorify it again. Every time a child of God is obedient to his calling. That's how God's name is glorified. You bring glory to the name of God when you as a child of God obey what He's called you to. When you reflect that glory. We had that conversation this morning at Men's Bible Study. I encourage you to be there. 
Wednesday mornings at 5.30, great discussions. But we want to we be able to reflect the glory of God to others. Now, I, I love this because God answers his prayer. God knew that Jesus needed some encouragement in his humanity, and he, and he answered him publicly, and Jesus acknowledged it publicly within this, and the crowd of people heard it. Now, and, and they heard the purpose, and they're going to see the purpose, but they didn't understand it, which I think is interesting for us to understand, because just as they didn't understand the voice of thunder... They're not going to understand your perseverance in suffering. How are you putting up with that? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. I'm trusting in God. I don't get it. Well, you're not going to get it because it's my trial. But let me tell you about how God is bringing me through it within that. And so they do it from a, a, a second person position. You know, you think about this speaking of angels... I would love for God to speak in such a way that people's minds would be blown. Just a few times. It would be so cool. You think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocks him off his high horse, has a conversation with him, and all the guys that were there were freaking out. In fact, in Acts 9-7 it says this, The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Can you imagine that conversation with those guys? What happened to Paul? We're hearing voices. Do you hear those voices? We don't see anybody. Or maybe the guys are going, I, I don't hear anything. I'm not admitting to that. But the conversation was between Jesus and Paul. The intelligible conversation was between Jesus and his father, but those were witnessing to that. And so the, the crowd, because they were unsaved, didn't make that connection to be able to hear the voice of God. But you as a child of God in your sorrow, in your suffering, will hear the voice of God. God will speak. And people will be amazed of that, that strength, that inner strength that comes from the voice of God speaking in your life. And it may not be through thunder, but it would be in that still small voice. Not in the hurricane, not in the great wind, as, as the prophets would say, but in that still small voice. Do you hear it? Can you hear it? I know people that do. Those quiet times in the hospital bed when they're looking for encouragement and God speaks. In the quiet place in their room where God speaks. That quiet place where they're sitting still and they're meditating on the Word of God and the Word of God speaks. God will speak if you'll listen. And sometimes we don't understand because we're not listening well. May we learn to listen well. But I can tell you this, God is always speaking. Always speaking. You need to learn to listen. And listen to his voice. In verses 30 to 32, Jesus does explain the death on the cross a little bit more. He says, this voice didn't come for my sake only, but for your sake. Now, judgment's upon the world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I'm lifted up, and I will be, from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Well, what's the purpose of the cross? Three things. One, one, 
judgment has come upon the world. What is the judgment? The judgment is going to be put upon Jesus upon the cross. So that now the ruler of the world will be kicked to the curb. Do you realize that's what happened? When Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for sin and all of the sin of the world was, was atoned for, the power of Satan was broken. And he can no longer declare that he owns the world because Jesus redeemed and paid the price for every person by paying the penalty for their sin. For anyone who would believe in the cross and the work of the cross would be saved. And Satan became powerless. The ruler of this world was cast out. Because he says, if I am lifted up, and I will be, I'll draw all men to myself so they'll come to the cross. This cross ushers in this time of judgment. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21 says this. This is the judgment that lights come into the world. Men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds might be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light. And so that his deeds may be manifest and been wrought in God. In other words, the cross brings judgment. What kind of judgment? Separation. Because prior to the cross, there was only one class of person on this world. What class were they? Sinners. Under judgment. After the cross, now there's two classes. Those that remain sinners because they refuse to come to the cross and confess their sin. And they remain under judgment. And those that come to the cross because they know that the cross brings life and they're saved. And so when you face the cross, what do you see? Do you see the the one who saved you? Or do you say, no, I don't want to go there. I want to remain in darkness. There's a judgment or this separation. Secondly, the ruler of this world is cast out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, And in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light, the gospel, and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Are there a lot of blind people walking in the world today? Who's blinding their eyes? Satan. What is he blinding them from? The cross. Do you think it's by any chance, just happen chance, that God, the Bible, and prayer has been kicked out of the schools? Is it by any chance? Absolutely not. Why? Because Satan wants to blind the eyes of those that are in the world. And how does he do that? He, he keeps people in darkness. What would this world be like if part of literature and reading and education, we would read the Bible? Let's teach kids to read. What are we going to use? We're going to use the Bible. That would be amazing. But no, we have them reading other things that young children should never see. Why? To keep them in the darkness. Because he blinds the eyes. He is this God of this world and wants to keep the unregenerated unregenerated. And so, within this, the cross broke him and created a distinction. Light came into this world. 
Now, men will love darkness rather than light. Why? Because darkness hides their deeds within this. But here's the foolishness of Satan, which I think is, is really... He's smart. He's intelligent. He, he's cunning. He's crafty. And he really blew it. Because in his mind, for whatever reason, he thought, if I put Jesus on the cross and get him on the cross and kill him in his humanity and have Israel reject him, then he will be powerless. If I kill Jesus, then he'll be dead. As a created being, he fell short on the infinite plan of God. And he didn't realize that the cross was not the death of Jesus, but it was the death of Himself. Satan would be cast out from His throne on earth and will be, in the end, cast out into the lake of fire and destroyed forever. Gone. Away from man and away from God. We know this because we're told this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Cast out. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready for that to happen right now? I am. I don't want to see Satan kicked to the curb. I want to see him kicked in the lake of fire. Gone. But first we have to come to the cross. And so Jesus being lifted up in what man would think would be the utter destruction of Jesus would actually provide the glory of God. Now the cross was not the best thing. The Roman government had figured out how to take a, a torturous situation that was actually created by the Babylonians and, and make it better. They took the crucifixion to the nth degree. The most humiliating way that you can destroy somebody would be strip them naked and put them up on pedestal for everybody to see. Well, you don't stop there. You stretch their arms out to such an extent that the only way that they can take a breath is to push up on their feet to relieve the pressure in the diaphragm to get, to get a, a breath. And then because their arms were so stretched out, they couldn't hold themselves. They would have to sag back down, which would collapse the lungs and create pressure and not being able to take a breath. Up and down, pushing up and down. To make it worse for Jesus, they decided to drive nails in his wrist and his ankles. So to push up, you have to push up on a nail. And he would do that for six hours, which is a short time. Sometimes it would take days. Oh, by the way, this was after beating him. Such a way that Isaiah would say he wouldn't even look like a man. And whipping him. 39 lashes, scourging him to the point of blood loss would normally kill most human beings. This was the cross. And he would hang on this cross, taking the worst of what humanity could throw at him. And he was lifted up. In John 8, 28 says, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, and you will, then you will know that I am, ego of me, I am God. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things that my Father taught me. The cross 
would glorify the Father. He would do the very thing that he did not look forward to doing for us. It would bring glory. Philippians 2.9 says, For this reason God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. What was Jesus' reward? Honor. From who? Father. And multiple times Jesus, God would say this about Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. How do we glorify God? We glorify God by accepting His will and going through whatever suffering He sends us through to bring honor to Him. You say, well, Carrie, that's pretty sadistic. No. It's accepting the will of the Father and looking for those opportunities to be able to share love. Because while most people would look at the cross and say love or blood flowed from the cross, it was really love that flowed from the cross. At any time, Jesus could have came down. Do you remember what the mockery was? The mockery was he saved others. Why didn't he save himself? Come down off this cross. Prove to yourself that you are the Son of God. Just come off the cross right now. You did all of these miracles. What kept him on the cross? In my sanctified imagination, I think that Jesus had every one of us in mind. By name, by face. Because as God, He knew your name before the foundations of the world. To redeem you. And that's why He says, He will draw all men to Himself. Because as, a, as one who is saved, what is the first thing that we look to for salvation? The cross within this. And this is the way that we would know the Father. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus would say, No one can come to me unless the Father who has seen me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Think about that. It doesn't matter what happens to this body in this temporal being. God will raise you up. You have that eternal promise. And the, the, all men that are drawn to him are all those... It doesn't matter, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, men, women, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. But what do you got to do? Come to the cross. Within this. But again, in 33 to 34, people will misunderstand this. Notice what it says. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death to which he would die. The crowd answered him and said, We've heard, a, we've heard out of the law that the Christ, now that's the Messiah, the anointed one, is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Now they're conflicted. Okay, we followed you this whole time, these three years, and you're saying you're the Christ. You're saying the Messiah. You're saying that you are God in the flesh. Great. You're saying you're going to die on the cross. How does that reconcile? Because in our theology, the Messiah will live forever. How is the Messiah going to die? How is God going to die? And who is the Son of Man? How could the Messiah, who is supposed to be eternal, according to the Scriptures, die? Years and years ago, um, at the first church I was at, I made a statement, and I said, in, in the statement, and, and it was my fault because I wasn't as clear as I should be, but I made the statement, and God died on the cross. 
And one of my students who's very literal, very literal, he says, you're wrong, that's heresy. How can God die on the cross? And it really stumbled him within this. And we had this discussion, and I really had to come back and I said, you know what? I misspoke. Jesus died on the cross, the second person of the Godhead within this. And we had this discussion. And he, he really had a hard time wrapping his head around this concept. Jesus is God. The second person, God in the flesh. The Son of God that's come to this earth. And yes, He would die on the cross. When Jesus used the term Son of Man to define Himself, He was speaking out of, and if you're taking notes, out of Psalm 89.4, Psalm 110.4, and Daniel 7.14, which I'll read to you. And to Him was given dominion and glory and kingdoms, that all the people and the nations and the men of every language might serve Him in dominions and everlasting, which will not pass away in His kingdom, is the one which will not be destroyed. They believed in the eternal kingdom. And the Son of Man, as Daniel would say. And so they had a hard time reconciling that. And people even do today. How can Jesus be God if He died on the cross? And they don't understand that. One of the difficult things is called the hypostatic union. It's a very fancy word to say, to say basically Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. Can I figure it out? Nope. I just accept it. I accept it by faith. That Jesus being fully God added to Himself humanity without losing anything of His divinity but was self-limiting on certain things in order to be in one place at one time, but by adding to himself full humanity, died on the cross. As we'll study on Sunday in the Incarnation, so you want to be here on Sunday, as we study God gave Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to unpack that all this coming Sunday. But with this, Jesus answered the crowd and their question in verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said... For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk in the light while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not go know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and went away and hid himself from them. So with this, he gives them this allegory about light and darkness. And he answered their statement, Basically saying, you just need to believe. You need to come out of that darkness and, and, and pursue the light, which is Christ. When we think about this light and darkness, we were in darkness. But when Jesus comes, He gives us the light of life. He reveals to us who God is, who is light. It's an allegory of truth, light being truth, darkness being evil within this. And so only for a little while will we have the light, Jesus. Until when? He dies on the cross. Then the light goes away. So you need to believe in Him now. We know that the Holy Spirit will come and bring that light again on Pentecost to every heart. And if you believe. But the problem is there were those people that were walking in darkness and blinded by the darkness. 
as we see in the world today. One of the difficulties we find today in a what we would call a post-Christian culture, which we are in, is the, the light is becoming dimmer and dimmer with apostasy and, and darkness is becoming darker and darker. Churches are becoming smaller and smaller because people are, are pursuing darkness and living in darkness and they're not pursuing the light or the truth of God's work. They're following, and, and I had a discussion with a young man this week about the difference between um, conservative theology and liberal theology. And subjective truth and objective truth. And the problem is that the social gospel, the gospel that fits our society and how we live, or liberal theology, which is a theology that is based on opinion, senses, and what feels good, is overriding a, a biblical theology, which is an absolute truth that is grounded on God's Word. So I asked this young man, and I says, what is your authority? Is your authority based on your emotion, or is it based on God's Word? Because that's going to determine truth in your life. Jesus is basically saying, seek the light, seek the truth while you have it. Because the darkness is going to come in. And it is going to be horrible when that takes place. So he invites the crowd to believe while they have their opportunity. And then he leaves. Matthew chapter 5.14 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. What's the problem? And the problem is so many Christians today are hiding that light. We are not letting that light shine. We are not talking about the truth of God's Word for fear that we're going to be outcasts or rejects. And the problem is, by us hiding that light, the world becomes a darker place. Jesus held nothing back in sharing His love, glorifying the Father, neither we should we. But He called them to believe. Will you believe? A.W. Tozer once said this, any faith that must be supported by evidence of the senses is not real faith. In other words, I have to believe it because I see it. That's not real faith. He also said, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. I love that. Let me say that again. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a living God. My soul is focused on God. And my faith is not based on substance or the things that are around. And so as John is bringing out this theology of belief, he is challenging the hearers of this epistle, or I'm sorry, of this gospel, to believe. So he goes on in verse 37 in this, and he starts up again. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word which Isaiah the prophet which he spoke, the Lord who has believed, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he being the devil has blinded their eyes and he's hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or perceive with their heart and be converted and I will heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw Isaiah saw his glory and he spoke of them. Nevertheless, 
Many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. Notice, many were believing, but not confessing for fear that they be put out of the synagogue. Note, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Why is it that people would say they would believe but not confess it? For fear of man. Proverbs tells us that the fear of man is a snare. If you're scared of what man can do, it creates a trap to you within this. The Jews refused to believe because all they wanted was works. They wanted signs. They wanted works. They wanted miracles to establish their faith. I want to see it and believe it. And, and literally, they kept on not believing. Question. How many signs does it take for you to really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? What are you looking for? Well, let's see. Jesus was healing the sick, healing the lame, giving sight to the blind, which was only a messianic miracle. That's not enough. How many people need to be raised from the dead? How many lepers need to be healed? How many loaves need to be turned into bread? What is it that you really want? Oh, okay. I'm going to die and rise again. A lot of people say, well, I just don't have enough to believe. You don't have enough because you don't want to believe. All miracles do is point us in the direction where our heart can have faith. Miracles are not meant to sustain faith. We think about the, the first miracle in Cana. In John chapter 2, 11. It says the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana and Galilee to manifest the glory and his disciples believed in him. They saw the miracle and they believed. But the disbelief is, is when we say, well, my senses have not been tingled enough. Right? I just don't feel it. I don't feel like God's real. Well, take a couple of tums, get rid of the heartburn, something. I don't know. It's not about feeling. Faith accepts what is not seen. Disbelief has to see to believe within this. And, and I've heard people say, I'm not going to believe in God because he didn't do the miracle I asked him to do. Or, I used to believe in God, but I don't believe in Him anymore because God let me down. Question. What does that make God into? Your servant. God is no man's servant within this. In, in Isaiah 38-41, to 41, I'm sorry, in, in John 38, 41, Isaiah is quoted as prophesying this unbelief that would take place. The Jews refused to believe. Why? Because Satan has blinded their eyes because they were full of idolatry. Isaiah's time, they refused to believe the work of God. In fact, in Isaiah 53, 1, it says this, Who has believed our message? It was a quote from John. And whom has the arm of the Lord have been revealed? Well, you look at the nation of Israel, what did God do? Well, let's see. Out of 70 people, I made about 4 million into a nation. They're in Egypt. 
After ten plagues, I get them out of Egypt. Well, that's not enough. I take you through the wilderness and give you a promised land, provide for you in the wilderness, take you to the edge of the promised land to get you in, and that's not enough. You don't believe there's giants in the land. Okay, fine. Go back in the wilderness. We're going to wait till this generation dies off. We're going to start over again. Goes into the land. God gives them all the places to go, wherever their feet step. God provides for them, protects them, gives them this land, and says one thing. I want to be your God. You be my people. Get rid of all the idols. And don't have anything to do with all of these foreign nations. Why? Because all of these foreign nations are going to corrupt you with their idolatry. I really don't believe that will happen. I can handle my idolatry and God at the same time. That didn't work. They violated the law. They violated the relationship. God said, look it. I'm done with you. You're going in timeout. I'm going to send you into captivity. Because you need to learn not to worship idols. Sends them into Babylon, into Assyria. Takes them out of the land. Restores them back into the land. Let's them rebuild the, te- the temple and says, let's try this again. Gives them the temple and then gives them Jesus. Even if God in the flesh came down and walked among them, they still would not believe. Hard headed. Stiff neck. Oh, wait a minute. Stephen said that in Acts chapter 7. That didn't work out so good for him because he got stoned. But They heard it. In unbelief, you think that you're right to say God hasn't done enough to reveal himself to me. Oh, yes, he has. You just refuse to believe. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Render the hearts of the people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand their hearts in return and be healed. Literally, they don't want to believe, so I'm going to leave them over to their unbelief. And I think that is a condition. Can someone reject God so much that God says, fine, live in your rejection? Sure, look at Pharaoh. Right? Moses came. How many times? And it says... Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Till you get to the end where it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Got to be careful. Exodus chapter 7, 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Does God harden his hearts? Yes. It's his divine prerogative and divine will. You can reject God to the extent to the, that your heart is so hardened and God says, I'm going to give you over to your sin. If that's what you want, you'll just remain there. When is that time? I can tell you this, I don't know. So in my mind, and I think based on Scripture, if you still have breath, you still have opportunity. Continue to preach. But does God choose? Yes. Does God respond? Yes. Romans 9.18 says, So then he has mercy on whom he desires, hardens whom he desires. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Will God give them judgment? Yes. And there's a mystical tension. The tension is this. God is not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. 
The other side is, if you reject God enough, God will give you over to your sin. Within that. If you're here tonight and you're listening to this study, praise God. You're doing good. But should we witness to those that have hard hearts? Yes, because we don't know when that time comes. As we continue and we take a look at verses 42 on, we, we, we know that even though there could be national unbelief, there's individual faith that can be found. We pray for our nation under national unbelief. And I believe the United States is in national unbelief. But can we pray for the individuals in the United States? Yes, absolutely. Look at 42 on and it says this. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. So there was a national unbelief, but there was individual Pharisees that would confess. We think of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, right? But they wouldn't confess him. Why? Because they were worried about losing their seats. They loved the approval more of men more than they did of God. So Jesus cries out and, and deals with this. And he says, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light. There's that light analogy again. Into the world. Why? So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. That is an awesome promise. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Why? Because they were already judged. Verse 48. But he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me and has given me a commandment as to what to say and speak. I know that his commandments are, is eternal. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Which is an amazing statement. Because what does Jesus say? He says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. The message I give you is a message of salvation. If you hear it and believe it, you will get out of the darkness and into the light. But this word that I speak is a two-edged sword. Because the very word I speak will end up being replayed at your judgment. Can you imagine the Pharisees that stood and yelled, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! On the last day when they stand before the very cross and they see the Jesus that they crucified on the throne. And the very words he spoke will turn around and haunt them because they should have believed. That's powerful. Jesus came into the world to save the world. John 1, verses 10 to 13. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world didn't know him, but he came to his own. And those were his own, didn't receive him. But as many, note, as received him, to them... He gave the right to become children of God. And even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood or the will of flesh, but born of God. Many will reject. Some will believe. And those words are going to haunt them. Now, within this, we shouldn't be moved by public opinion. But we should believe and confess 
What happens if I believe and I don't confess? Then you really don't believe. Matthew 10, 32, 33 says this, Therefore, who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. We need to publicly confess Jesus. You say, well, I might lose my job. Okay? So you lose your job. Who do you answer to, your boss or God? Now, does that mean that we need to be a jerk about it? No. But you need to not shy away from it. And we need to understand that our life belongs to the Lord. Galatians 5.24 Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I surrender my life over to Christ and to believe. To believe in the Father who sent Him. Thinking about this, this mission that Jesus came, He came to give life. He gave to give hope. And He gave to give a future. We have a mission. Our mission is to tell people about life in Christ. To give people hope in Christ. To explain to them that they can have a future in Christ. Why? Because they're walking in darkness and you are the only light that they're going to see. Question. If you are the only reflection of Jesus that your friends or your family are ever going to see, is there enough of Jesus shining through you for them to be saved? Does your life confess it enough? We've got to understand, just as Jesus explains the Father to us, we explain Jesus to others. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is the baptism, who is in the bosom of the Father and explains Him. The unbeliever doesn't see Jesus. Who can explain Jesus? Only Christians. Only those that have seen Him. If you've seen Jesus, then explain Jesus within that. To be able to share that faith. It's a divine calling. And the calling is to give people eternal life. Why did Jesus come? To give life. Jesus did not come on earth, die on the cross, rise again to create a social club. He came to establish a body that would reflect Him to a dying world. How are we doing with that? We need to continue to let our light shine. And we need to reflect Jesus. And we need to share the Word of God the same way that Jesus did. And if it means dying to self, so be it. I'm good with that. Why? Because to God be all the glory. Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You that You give to us that hope and that future. You've given to us marching orders and a mission. Lord Jesus, You tell us that that You died for us to give us that life and that hope and that future. Lord, help us to die to self, to pick up our cross and follow after You. We don't have to die on the cross again because You did it. Once and for all. But it's that sacrifice that You made that gives us an eternal hope and future. And there are people out there that don't have that hope. Tonight, as, as we close out, think about how that light of yours is shining. Think about how you're reflecting Jesus.
And when people see you, do they hear the voice of God? Even if it's in thunder, do they hear what God has for them? Because the Lord Jesus has come to give life to anyone who will believe. Anyone. May we express that invitation to all. Father, I thank you. And as we close out with this song, may we realize, may we celebrate the fact that you are the one that's mighty to save and you will save according to your will. May we honor you with our voices and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. Fill my life again. Give myself to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the So may your light shine as you go out the rest of your week. Have a blessed rest of the week. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. 
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.